premillennial, pre-tribulational, dispensational, independent, and standing on the inspired, preserved Word of God, the King James Bible, as our final authority, this is the Sword of the Spirit Podcast with your host and Bible teacher, Joseph Rusiello. Take your Bible, sit back, and join us as we open and study the Word of God. And now, here's your host. Well, hey, folks, welcome to the Sword of the Spirit podcast. This is Joe Russiello, and it is great to be with you once again as we open up and study the precious Word of God, your King James Bible. And as always, folks, wherever you are, whenever you are, and on whatever platform you find yourself listening to us on, it's always my prayer that you find yourself in the grace and in the mercy of our Lord and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, folks, welcome to the Sword of the Spirit podcast on our Thursday night Bible study. And I know I tell you all the time, but I look forward to this so much. I really enjoy getting this opportunity to sit down with you guys, opening up the scripture, talking about the word of God and having fellowship around the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. What a blessing it is for me to be here and I hope, and it's my prayer also, that it's a blessing for you. Uh, we have a really, uh, really uh, interesting uh, study and a show for you tonight. I'm um, going to cover a lot of ground, too. Uh, we have two things that we're going to be looking at today. So first of all, we're going to be answering a listener question. Uh, it's an important question, too. It's something that I'm sure that every Bible-believing Christian goes through at some point or another in their walk with the Lord. And uh, I'm not going to go into the details because uh, the listener did email me. He didn't give me very many details. But um, And if he's listening, if he wants to uh, elaborate a little bit on uh, his circumstance, uh, feel free to email me and uh, we can talk. Uh, I'd be very interested in hearing it uh, so I can maybe provide some counsel on that. Uh, but the, the question is, uh, why and how should a Bible-believing Christian leave a Bible-believing church if the situation becomes necessary to do so. It's a lot more complicated than you might think, for most people anyway. Uh, and we're going we're gonna to address that before we get into the study uh, in just a little while. Uh, and then after, and that'll be after we do our prayer requests and uh, before we get into the study. So you're kind of getting two studies in one tonight, I think, because I have a feeling it's going to take a little time to get through this. But uh, before we do anything regarding the Bible study or the message for the night, uh, I'm just going to ask you to go over to our website, swordofthespiritpodcast.com, and then when you get over there, if you could, just uh, fill out that contact section and uh, send us over a message. You can send us any, any prayer requests that you might have, any questions like this that you might have. Um, I would love to hear from you guys, and uh, if that could be a blessing to you in any way, I, I really would look forward to be, do, be able to do that. Uh, but if you don't like the web forums, that's fine. You can always email me directly at info at swordofthespiritpodcast.com. That's info at swordofthespiritpodcast.com. Uh, and the other thing, too, when you get to the website, is if you could look for that support this podcast button. And like I ask you all every time we meet, uh, if the Lord's been leading you to do it, and if you've been praying about this, and if these if these podcasts and live broadcasts have been a blessing to you in any way, and you want to be an active part in this ministry, 
Would you please consider supporting this ministry with a small monthly contribution? You can set that up for $0.99 cents a month, $4.99 a month, or $9.99 a month. Uh, you, and I know the economy's tight. I know it's difficult for a lot of us. Um, not going to deny that. Uh, but if you can make a one-time contribution, uh, we would appreciate that as well. Uh, you can do that by clicking on the Waygiver button on our website, and uh, we'll be sure to get that as well. And, uh, you know, when you become an active part in a ministry like this uh, through these contributions, you're helping us to purchase things that um, we would like to be able to give out. Uh, like I need I really want to purchase a case or two of Bibles that we can give away. Um, I've given away several and uh, but it would just be a real blessing to be able to have them on hand so we can get them out right away. Uh, it's, a, it's a tremendous blessing. And just think just think about this. Uh, the day comes and you're you're in glory. You're with the Lord in heaven and some person that you've never met before that you don't know from a hole in the wall comes up to you and says, thank you. Well, thank you for what? Well, thank you for giving me that Bible. That Bible helped me find and build my relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Just think about what a tremendous blessing that would be. It's huge. So if you could think, you know, pray about it, and if the Lord leads you to do it, and if you want to contribute in that kind of a way, it would be a tremendous blessing, and I would really, really thank you for it. And, of course, we also want to say thank you to all of you who pray for us on a daily basis, on a regular basis. Uh, thank you so much for that. Thank you, of course, to our current supporters uh, financially. Uh, thank you so much for all that you do. And also to every single one of our, our listeners who tune in every single show. And uh, don't miss an episode when we, when we upload it uh, after the live broadcasts. Uh, what a blessing. I was looking at our, our downloads earlier today, and I cannot believe that we are approaching 1,700 downloads already. It's unbelievable. It's, it's absolutely amazing. And our reach has gotten around the world. I mean, folks, we have listeners in, in, uh, in Egypt, in Libya, uh, in Ukraine. We have listeners in, uh, in, in Spain. I'm just going off the top of my head. Germany, all over the world. And it's a tremendous, tremendous blessing. And uh, I just want to thank everybody for that. Thank you so much. And, of course, first and foremost, we're going to praise the Lord for that. Amen. Because it's his world. It's his airwaves. It's his everything. So if it wasn't for the Lord, we wouldn't be able to be doing this. And I just want to say thank you to the Lord for that. Now, folks, if you're in the Eagle Pass area and you're looking for a good King James Bible-believing and Bible-teaching church, would you please consider visiting us over at First Baptist Church of Eagle Pass? We meet at 664 North Monroe. Our Sunday school hour starts at 10 a.m. Our worship service begins at 11. Our Sunday evening service is at 6 p.m. And our Wednesday night Bible study is at 7 p.m. For more information, you can always visit the church's Facebook page just by logging into Facebook and searching for First Baptist Church of Eagle Pass. And then, of course, once you're there, you'll find lots of helpful information, and you'll also find episodes of this podcast. But of course, folks, wherever it is that you're listening, be sure to like, subscribe, and share it with your friends, your family, and your followers. That way, you can help us spread the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's important. When you like, subscribe, and share it, that affects the algorithm when people search for Bible study podcasts or live broadcasts like we're doing right now. 
uh, we could be in that um, in that grouping of, uh, of of shows and and podcasts that come up in their search results. So it's really important, folks. Like, subscribe, and share with your friends, your family, and your followers. And uh, let's get the gospel sent out around the world. And of course, you know, to your family and your friends. I mean, that's your immediate sphere of influence, folks. Uh, you can reach people that nobody else can. So use this as a tool. Uh, and it would be a tremendous blessing uh, for us. Now, uh, just a couple of a quick announcements before we uh, take a, an early early break uh, so I can get myself together here with my notes uh, for the uh, discussion on why and how to leave a local Bible-believing church. Um, don't forget, folks, Sunday afternoon, we have our 3 o'clock uh, Sunday afternoon service at uh, 3 p.m. Central Time, 4 p.m. Eastern. Uh, don't forget that. Also, uh, you can now hear us on uh, CRN. That's the Contra Radio Network, and we're thankful that they, uh, that they are broadcasting our messages there as well. Uh, CRN.best is their website. You can find them also on pretty much all the major podcasting platforms such as Stitcher, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Podbean, and so many more. Uh, coming up in November, don't forget, uh, really excited about this. We've got the, the Mighty Righty podcast. We'll be kicking off. Hopefully our target, and Lord willing, it'll be around uh, Election Day, so they'll have some good things to talk about. Uh, got some good things to talk about now in the world of politics, but another show, another day. Uh, so the Mighty Righty will be coming out in early November. And folks, also don't forget to sign up for the programming announcements. Uh, you can find the subscription box on our website, sortofthespiritpodcast.com. And for those of you who don't know, uh, the programming announcement subscription is just basically uh, you get onto a mailing list with us, and every time we do a, do a show or we have uh, any changing changes in the scheduling, in the uh, in guests or or whatever. Uh, you'll get an email from us, and uh, you'll be in the know. Now, we're not going to spam you. We're not selling your information to anybody. That just strictly stays here with me. And then um, uh, we'll get you out those messages. Okay, so I'm not going to load you up with a bunch of stuff that you're not interested in seeing. All right, well, uh, we're going to take our first break of the evening here. There's going to be a few of them because we've got a lot of ground to cover. Um, so we'll be back right after this. This is the Sword of the Spirit podcast. Don't go away.
Hey, folks, welcome back to the Sword of the Spirit podcast. This is Joe Ruscello. Uh, we're going to get into our prayer requests in just about a second. So we had a little bit of a rough opening there, and I'm going to tell you why. Uh, just a f- maybe a couple of minutes before we got started, uh, my sister texted me with a prayer request, and I was kind of going back and forth with her about it. And uh, I didn't realize how close it was to actually 7 o'clock <laughs> for us to get started. So I was rushing to uh, fill out the... Uh, the form I got to fill out before we uh, hit the the uh, live button. So that's why it was a little kind of a rough start uh, there as we got going, but we're good now. We're all set. All right, folks, so we're going to get into our uh, prayer list uh, at this point. And uh, again, this is Thursday night, so we don't normally go through the entire detailed prayer list. So we're only going to bring up things that are, uh, first of all, for salvation. That's always the most important prayer that we have. And then, of course, we're also going to uh, pray about any updates to our sick list and just our general concerns list. So uh, let's get to the prayer list. So we're going to go through the salvation prayer request. Well, we're going to be continuing to pray for my mom, my sister, my granddaughter, Carmela, and uh, David back in New York City. Uh, They're still on our prayer list, and uh, they will stay there until we're told otherwise. So, Heavenly Father, we want to thank you so much for your love, your mercy, your grace. We want to thank you, Father, for the tremendous gift of salvation that you have given us through your precious Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Heavenly Father, we just want to lift up my mom, my sister, Laura, my granddaughter, Carmela, and David in New York City 
Lord, we just pray that you would just work in them, Lord, that you would draw them to yourself, that you would keep them close, Lord, that you would save them. Lord, I don't want to see any of them end up in the worst place imaginable, that place called hell. And Father, if they don't uh, come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior, that's exactly where they're going to end up. And uh, Lord, so I just pray that you would just raise up some folks around them that would uh, give them the gospel, Lord, that... um, that if there were any questions that they needed to ask about it, that they could always come and ask me. Lord, I, I pray for them. I lift them up to you, and I ask you to work that miracle in them, and we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so uh, we're going to go through the sick list. Um, now, we just have a couple of updates for you. Uh, we are still praying for um, Sister Bernice, who is uh, going through chemotherapy. Uh, so we want to just lift her up and Lord, just pray that you give her grace and strength as, uh, she goes through the, uh, chemo treatments that are being prescribed for her. And father, we also want to pray for, uh, for Alan, uh, for his prostate cancer and Lord, we just, uh, lift him up to you as well. Uh, father, we know, uh, that I think tomorrow he, or today, actually, uh, he, uh, decides on the course of action Father, uh, so we just pray that whatever that decision was that uh, he chose for his treatment, Lord, we just pray that you would use it in a, in a great and a mighty way in him, in his life. And Father, we pray that you would bring healing. And Father, we just lift him up to you. Lord, we also want to pray for Sophia with her um, irregular heartbeat as well. And Lord, we want to thank you for uh, just being the great physician. We want to thank you, Lord, that we can come and lay these petitions before the throne of grace. And Lord, that in your mercy and in your perfect will for us, you will answer. And Father, we'll thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord, we also want to pray for uh, uh, for George, who is uh, still waiting on word on his contract renewals with the city of Eagle Pass. Lord, we also want to pray for my brother-in-law, Jude. Uh, Jude is a contractor in New York City. Um, we want to pray for his, uh, for his business. The economy is really difficult. And uh, he's struggling to get uh, to get work right now, Lord. So we pray that you would just open up opportunities for him. And Father, we will thank you for that. And uh, Lord, we want to thank you uh, for uh, for Robert, who is serving on the border here in Eagle Pass. Lord, we pray that you would keep him safe. Uh, Robert is in the National Guard, and uh, Lord, we just pray that you would just hedge him about and keep him safe. I heard from him yesterday, and uh, he said he's been going through a lot of training, and uh, but he's also getting opportunities to go home to see his family, and we're thankful for that, Lord. So we pray, Father, you keep him safe. We also pray for the Border Patrol agents and the National Guardsmen, the local law enforcement that are working along the border, doing everything that they possibly can to keep us safe. Uh, Lord, and to control this um, this stream of uh, illegal migrants coming over our borders. And Father, we just pray that you would just help them and protect them as they help and protect us. Lord, we also want to pray for all of our local elected officials, those of, that are serving here in, 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 uh, in our county, in our city, at the state level, in the state house. Lord, we also want to pray for those that are serving in uh, Washington as our representatives, Lord, we pray that you would just uh, you would just give them some wisdom, Lord, as they make the decisions that affect our everyday life. And Father, for all the unspoken prayer requests of our heart, Lord, we just lay those before the throne of grace. We ask you today, 
Father God, just to answer those prayers and all of our prayers according to your perfect will for us and for our lives. And we will thank you for it. In Jesus' precious name, amen. So folks, don't forget, if you have any prayer requests whatsoever, uh, you can email them to us at any time, and uh, we will get them on the list. Again, we go through the list at a uh, in greater detail on Sundays. So uh, you can email me anytime, and we'll get each on the list, and uh, we would appreciate that. And Because uh, any opportunity we have to pray is just a tremendous opportunity for us. And so just uh, just get those emails to us, and we'll get you on the prayer list. All right, so uh, as I mentioned earlier, so we got this question on um, why and how to leave a uh, Bible-believing church. And we're going to come to that in just a few minutes. Uh, what we're going to do, though, is our usual. We're going to take a break here and give you a chance to go get your King James Bible, grab yourself your cup of coffee, your bottle of water, and then when we come back, we'll be getting into that question. And then, of course, we'll be continuing on with our study in uh, First Timothy and chapter number three. We'll be right back.
Amen. Amen. Welcome back to the Sword of the Spirit podcast. This is Joe Rusiello. And um, just uh, for anybody listening in the New York area, uh, we mentioned Jude. If uh, you do have any contract work or anything like that you need to do, you just email me and I'll put you in contact with him. Right? He's my brother-in-law. He's a good guy. All right. All right. Um, also, uh, one thing I did not mention is... Uh, don't forget, if you uh, don't have your account yet on Good Pods, go get it. Good Pods is a great app. Uh, it's a great, uh, great listening platform. It's fantastic because it builds a community, uh, and you get to interact with the show hosts. You get to interact with with the listeners. Uh, it's it's like a combination of Instagram, uh, Twitter, Spreaker. Spotify, all those things, all in one place. It's great. It's a great app. I suggest you go get it. And when you do, look for me at the SOTS podcast. All right. Follow me. I'll follow you back and uh, we'll have some interactions. It'll be great. So, Good Pods. And if you're looking for them on Twitter, uh, Good Pods HQ, goodpods.com. Great, great site. Great site. All right, folks. So, uh, important question. Very important question. Why? And how should a believer leave an independent Bible-believing church? Well, believe it or not, many many believers change churches every year. It's it's not an uncommon thing, and it's good in some ways uh, when folks do leave churches or change churches, particularly when they're leaving a, a church that has become extremely modernistic or um or uh or, or dead evangelical churches that's good when you leave something like that but it's not always good when a believer leaves a local bible believing church to go to another local bible believing church and uh as a believer you have to consider the reason for leaving and the manner of leaving one church and joining another. Uh, it's, it's really very important. So why would you leave? Again, this is a response to a listener question. So not knowing the specifics as to why you need to leave the church that you're in or why you're considering it, uh, I put together just a few things to kind of go over with everybody. And I think it's important to do this too, because you know what there, he may, this person who emailed me may not be the only one that has this problem or has been considering this. And, uh, so hopefully if you are considering this and just understand you're not alone. Okay. I've had to leave churches in the past, um, obviously for one reason or another, and uh, I wish somebody had would put together something like this for me when I did that. It would have made it a lot more, uh, a lot easier for me to do it. Uh, I wouldn't have felt so guilty and bad about it, even though it wasn't any for any specific terrible reason that I was leaving those churches. It was for legitimate reasons, which I would will mention as we go through this. But um, the one thing that I will say is that you very seldom hear of a Bible believer leaving a Bible believing church over doctrine or biblical issues. It's it's rare. It happens. I'm not going to say it doesn't, but it's it's rare. The believe it or not, the vast majority of people that leave uh Bible-believing churches is because of personality clashes, 
lack of spiritual growth, backsliding, or pet peeves. I mean, really, that's what goes on in a lot of churches. Uh, you know, some also personality clashes. Well, you know, you don't get along with brother so-and-so, and brother so-and-so doesn't get along with brother so-and-so. Uh, you know, you have those clash with the personalities. Sometimes folks clash with the, uh, their personalities clash with the preacher's personality. Uh, you know, so those are reasons why some people decide to leave. Or there's a lack of spiritual growth. You know, sometimes somebody will feel like they're sitting in a church uh, under a particular preacher for a period of time, and they don't see any... Uh, development in their walk with the Lord. Uh, and then there's, of course, the backsliding issue. You know, well, what's backsliding? Well, if, you're a, if you've been a Christian for more than 10 minutes, you should know what backsliding is. Backsliding is at that moment where, when you know you're not living right for the Lord, you're, you're, you're saved, and no doubt about that you're saved, but you're not living right. You're not thinking right. You're not doing right. You're not opening up your Bible and seeing what saith the Lord on a certain matter, and it, you stray away. You stop going to church, you stop prayer, you stop reading your Bible, and so on. Uh, backsliding. And then, of course, you know, the little pet peeves, which everybody knows what those little pet peeves are. So, uh, But then again, some people leave because they see issues. Whether those issues are real or imagined, it doesn't matter. But they see these issues that they may not necessarily agree with. So because of that, they decide that, well, I don't need to be here. I don't want to be here. And then there are others that they become you know, kind of like uh, discontented, right? Because they're not being active. Well, if you're not being active in the church, I mean, whose fault is that? I mean, really, whose fault is that? My church, you know, we're, we're an active church. We do a lot of fellowships. We have Bible studies. We have, you know, we do, we do a lot of things. And if you're not taking part of that, well, whose fault is that? That's nobody's fault but your own. And then there are those people that tend to listen to the wrong advice or advisors, you know, uh, You, you, a good story here, actually. It's interesting. One of the churches that I was a member of some years ago, uh, we had we had a, a, a young man come in and uh, got saved. And, man, he was on fire for the Lord. He was ripping and raring to go. He was ready to – I mean, loud. <laughs> it was a real blessing. I mean, it really was. It was great to have him there. Um, but then you have some of the more um, – you know, the, the senior saints that, uh, you know, they've been around the block for a while. They've, they've been around these things and you, you see them and they affect them because they'll, they'll they, like one particular incident was, uh, this young man was so, we had an evangelistic meeting going on and this kid was on fire, man. He was, he was hooping and hollering and he was doing his thing and he was getting into the message and so good. And I, one of the older brothers in the church leaned over to him and he was like, yeah, it's okay. You know, just, I've heard this before. It's really no big deal. That's it's a good message, but you know, I mean, that kind of you know tones you down a little bit. That kind of takes the, the 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 wind out of your sail. You know, there's nothing to really get so excited about. You know, I mean, that type of personality. You know, you fall into those wrong situations with those wrong people, those wrong attitudes, bad attitudes. 
uh, or if you're if you're having some kind of a difficulty with something and and you go to speak to somebody in the church that you might know that you feel comfortable with that might be a friend of yours or or whatnot uh, remember birds of a, of a birds of a feather flock together don't they you go to those wrong advisors and of course you start to act and think and and become like they are you become discontented and discontentment breeds discontent doesn't it and then, of course, there are others that leave uh, because of uh, maybe their family, uh, maybe their friends uh, influencing them to, hey, why don't you come and visit our church and try this and try that? And, and do you really need to be in church? You know, or your family will, of course, schedule every single thing that, you, uh, that, that they need to do uh, family-wise, like cookouts and family picnics and reunions and dinners and, and all that stuff. Of course, they always do it on a Sunday when you're supposed to be in church, where your heart is to be in church. You know, so there are a lot of family influences involved, family, friends, and then there are hurt feelings. So we went through this list here. So we talk about personality clashes. You talk about lack of spiritual growth, uh, backsliding, pet peeves, leaving because of real or imagined issues, um, Becoming discontented because you're not active, uh, listening to the wrong advice and counsel, uh, and because of family pressure, friends pressure, or hurt feelings. Well, you know, the pastor didn't come and shake my hand after the service today. My feelings are hurt. Come on. Really? So why should a believer leave a Bible-believing church? So we gave you reasons why you... You really shouldn't be leaving the church. Well, why should a believer leave the church? Well, uh, as was in my case, uh, you should leave a church if you're moving out of the area. I mean, that's I think that's be common sense. Amen? You leave a church if you're moving out of the area. Uh, another reason to leave the church, and this is an important one. This is a very important one. You leave the church if there's a doctrinal heresy that entered the church which hasn't been addressed or stopped according to the Matthew 18 chapter. Okay? Doctrinal heresy. Now, as we've been going through our study of Timothy, you know, Paul majors on doctrine. Heavy, heavy, heavy on doctrine, doctrine, doctrine. Good doctrine. Good doctrine is important, it's key, it's absolutely critical. But when a doctrinal heresy comes into the church, it's like a cancer. It spreads and it spreads and it spreads. And if it's not addressed appropriately and quickly, well, it can do a tremendous amount of damage. In some cases, it can be irreparable damage. Well, another reason that you should leave the church is if there is proven immorality which won't be disciplined by the church and you can find that over in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 so you leave the church if you're moving as was in my case twice <laughs> you leave the church if there's a doctrinal heresy that enters into the church and it's not being addressed, or it hasn't been addressed to the point where it stopped, according to Matthew chapter 18. You should leave the church if there's proven immorality. 
which will not be disciplined by the church. And again, re refer to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. In that passage, there was immorality going on in the church. The church refused to deal with it. They refused to break fellowship with the person that was involved and the people that were involved. And Paul wrote that chapter specifically addressing that issue to correct them and to get the church to take the appropriate disciplinary action against that person or those persons that were involved in the immorality. So it's very important, very important. So you leave if you're moving, you leave if there's doctrinal heresy, you leave if there's proven immorality, which is not being dealt with. And the other, the last one in that is you leave the church if the church no longer practices New Testament Christianity. Well, what's that? Joe, what's New, new, what's new Testament Christianity? Well, new, Christ, new Testament Christianity is soul winning. Soul winning is, is very important. Soul winning, baptism, you know, adding to the church, Godly living, exhortation. Now let's go over to um, let's go over to the book of Acts really quick. If you have your Bible with you, the book of Acts, and we're going to go to uh, chapter two, Acts chapter two. Let me get there. I wasn't planning on going there, but we're going to go there. Acts chapter two. Acts chapter 2 and verse 40. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. And they, then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers, and fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common, and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having the favor and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily, such as should be saved. That's New Testament Christianity. Soul winning, baptism, adding to the church, exhortation, godly living. Godly living. So then the question is, why leave a church? Now, how do you leave a Bible-believing church? How do believers usually leave a Bible-believing church? Well, on the negative side of it, they usually leave without ever telling anyone. They usually leave without informing anyone. They don't talk to the, to the, they don't talk to the pastor. They don't talk to the deacons. They don't talk to um, anyone. They just one day aren't there. And then they're not there the following week, and then they're not there the following week, and so on, and so on, and so on. And nobody knows, nobody sees them, nobody hears from them. 
you see, the problem with that is, and we'll we'll touch on it in a little bit in a minute, but the problem with that is, you know, you leave the church without talking to anybody. You don't know if the issue that you feel the need to separate over is something that could very easily be resolved. It could be very simply was, it could be very simply be that, you know, oh, brother, I'm sorry, I didn't realize that. I apologize, would you forgive me? And it could be all done away with at that point, and there'd be no reason for you to leave. But if you leave, and you don't inform anyone, then the chances of you actually being able to resolve your problem are that much less. Well, another, another, uh, another way that folks leave a church is they often join another Bible-believing church without ever notifying their former church or pastor. That's very common. A lot of people do that. Happens all the time. And like I kind of indicated in the first point, most people never really try to settle their problems with the pastor, the deacons, the Sunday school teachers, or other Christians in church. So basically what they're doing is they're running from their problems. And then you have some that kind of uh, justify their actions, and they use excuses like, well, I don't want to cause a problem. But they do. By just walking away, you do. Well, it, it won't do any good anyway. Have you tried? Most of the time, they never do. They never try. I, I know others who have tried and, and never worked out. Oh, really? Well, who? But they can never give you their names. So if you're planning on leaving your church, don't let it be for uh, under circumstances like this. Talk to someone. Let them know. Talk to your preacher. Talk to your pastor. When, uh, when I was serving as an AP, you know, I had an open-door policy with the folks of the church, and if they couldn't speak to the senior pastor, I was always there willing to listen and to help out any way I could, offer any counsel, any advice, anything I possibly could. I guarantee you that if you took the time to talk to your preacher, to talk to your pastor, your deacons, son, whatever, whoever the problem is with, I can pretty much guarantee you that it's gonna be, it could be resolved just that quick, and there would be no reason for you to leave. Now, I don't want to lose sight of the fact that this is a listener who sent me a question on this. So uh, I'm hoping that as you're listening, that... Uh, that you're not falling into this category here. I'm, I'm hoping that that uh, you are talking to people or you have attempted to talk to people. You have attempted to solve this problem. Now, in, in looking at the negative side of it, how should a, how should a Bible believer leave a Bible-believing church? How should you do it? Well, when a problem comes up, you should always follow Matthew 18 to work out the problem personally with the pastor, with the deacons, with the individuals, with res- and, or, or with the responsible leadership, whoever that might be. It's important to communicate. Remember, folks, a church is a family. 
And you cannot have fellowship in a family unless there's communication. Communication is extremely important. So when a problem comes up, talk it out. Work out the problem personally with whoever it is. And if you and if you, you attempt it and it doesn't work, this is Matthew 18. If you attempt it and it doesn't work, then you bring someone else in there with you. Two or three witnesses. So that you know that in good conscience you did everything you could to resolve the problem. Also, when a problem comes up, you need to pray. You need to pray. You need to get into the Word of God. You need to read your Bible. So you pray and you make sure that you have biblical instruction concerning whatever the situation is that you're confronted with that's making you consider leaving your church. Also, when a problem comes up, um, you, you shouldn't allow the thought of leaving your church to even enter your mind, to be honest with you. You know, you always, always should go about to correct the problem and not run from it. It's important. When a problem comes up, you, you, you have to follow the procedures that are outlined in the Word of God and your church constitution. And then if all of that fails, then leave. Then leave. It's, it's particularly difficult when someone leaves the church in a bad way. It's particularly difficult because by you just walking away and not trying to resolve the problem and not trying to fix the problem before, uh, before you do step out the door for the last time, uh, you don't know how that's affecting someone else. When I left the church, uh, the first church that I was part of, uh, I spoke to the pastor. I spoke to the deacons in the church because I wasn't sure on the right way to go about doing it without causing a problem, without becoming a stumbling block to another believer. And uh, they understood. They knew that the church had moved. It had gotten further away. It was becoming increasingly difficult for myself and my family to get to church uh, uh, faithfully. And uh, it, it was very, getting very difficult. And I needed to find a church that was closer to home, and I approached my pastor about that. I spoke to him about that, and he gave me good counsel. He actually helped me find a church that was closer to home so that I could be there and could be faithful. And that's the church that I end up becoming the associate pastor of. And what I also did is I wrote a letter to the pastor and the church, and I sent it to him. And he was able to read that letter to the church where I explained the reasons for my leaving to go to another church. And he told me himself, and I will never forget it, and I appreciated his candor about it. He said out of all the years that he had been pastoring, that was the first time that anyone had, had, had given him any kind of a written notification in that way. And I don't know, maybe it's because of, you know, I worked for the city of New York at the time. There was formalities and all that stuff. I don't know if that was just the way I was. But that's what I did. And he even said that that's the way you do it. That was his comment to the church when he read the letter. We had people leave the church prior to that over a doctrinal thing that 
uh, it's really just a manufactured doctrinal issue. Um, but they left the church because of that, but they left it in a lurch. They didn't speak to anyone. They just took off. That was it. And it hurt a lot of people. So also when a problem arises uh, and you have to leave, always leave so that you can go back. When you leave, don't gossip. Don't backbite. You know, don't try to don't don't try to split the church. That happens. You know, someone leaves, they're all they're disgruntled, they're discontented, they're they're not happy with the, with the way things were going. They didn't speak to anyone. They didn't do it. The, they didn't do this the right way, and they leave and they start poisoning other people in the church. They start they start whispering. They start the backbiting, the gossiping, and all that. And then what happens when they leave? Well, they take an, another family with them. And if you have a family of four, and then two families of four go, that's eight people gone. And it just multiplies from there. You end up splitting the church. So don't do that. Don't do that. If you have to leave the church and you do leave it, leave it alone. Leave it alone. Now, you know, oftentimes... Too, you know, churches and pastors are so anxious to grow that they'll take members from you know anywhere and almost and under any condition. And too often, they'll do it with pride, believing that they can do a better job for that Christian. So, if you're a pastor of a church, or if you're serving in a church, I want you to listen. Okay, I want you to listen. Too often. Too often is done with pride, thinking that they could do a better job for that Christian than the other pastor in church did. You're only fooling yourself when you think like that. See, every church has to have a solid Bible position so that members don't run from one church to another church without first settling their problems. And unfortunately, unfortunately, most members bring their old problems with them. So let me just take a minute here. I want to give you a couple of uh, suggestions. Okay, just a couple of suggestions. Number one, don't build your church unrighteously with somebody else's blood. Don't build your church unrighteously with somebody else's blood. And you can look up Jeremiah 22, verse 13 for that. Romans chapter 15 and verse 20 uh, basically tells us not to build our church upon another man's foundation. Don't allow someone to sin against another church or pastor by leaving and then bring their problem to yours. These are just some suggestions, okay? You don't have to take them. They're just suggestions. Uh, this is actually important, though, and this 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 is where you really kind of separate people, and you've kind of filter out those folks that you don't necessarily want in your church. Always, when they come to you, always get the name and phone number of their former pastor, call them, 
have lunch with them, talk to them before you permit that person to join your church. If you do let them join your church, make sure they leave the other church alone. They should not, and you should not allow them to bring other members with them to build your church. You have to remember, whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. And then lastly, I'm going to say this to church members. When you become dissatisfied and you go to another church, understand something. You're doing great damage to yourself and to your family. Well, how is that? Well, you're demonstrating that you fail to settle your own problems. You're teaching your children that they should run from a disagreement. And before long, they'll apply this, this same principle to their job to their marriage, or anything else that they come across in their life. Think about how many people just walk away from their marriages, from their, from their jobs. You know, uh, they, they let things fester and they cause problems and, and dissension at, at, the, at the workplace. Third, you're not becoming a strong Christian because you're not following Matthew 18. You end up becoming a stumbling block. Remember, whatever you do, you always influence other believers. When you're wrong, you influence them for the wrong. And then you become a stumbling block to them. Romans chapter 14. So, to... To the gentleman that sent me the email, listen, if you're in a good, independent, soul-winning, godly-living, Bible-believing church, don't leave. If it's, a, if it's an issue that you're having with someone in the church, stay there and work out your differences for the Lord's sake, for your family's sake. And for your sake. Again, if it's a if it's a doctrinal heresy, if it's something serious that way that will not be resolved and cannot be resolved, and you've done all that you can possibly do, then you leave. Obviously you leave. But if it's something that you can work out, stay there. Work out your differences for the Lord's sake for your family's sake, and for your sake. Amen? Amen. This is Sword of the Spirit Podcast and Joe Rusciello, and we'll be back right after this. Hi, everyone. This is JJ, the co-founder of Good Pods. If you haven't heard of it yet, Good Pods is like Goodreads or Instagram, but for podcasts. It's new, it's social, it's different, and it's growing really fast. There are more than 2 million podcasts, and we know that it is impossible to figure out what to listen to. On Good Pods, you follow your friends and podcasters to see what they like. That is the number one way to discover new shows and episodes. You can find Good Pods on the web or download the app. Happy listening.
I will both lay me down in peace and sleep, for thou, Lord, only makest me dwell in safety. The Lord will give strength unto his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. These things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand, and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. For he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. Let us therefore follow after these things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify another. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, Whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things.
those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. And the God of peace shall be with you. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body. And be ye thankful. Now the Lord of peace himself give you peace always, by all means. The Lord be with you all. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. This book contains the mind of God, the state of man, the way of salvation, the doom of sinners, and the happiness of believers. Its doctrines are holy, its precepts are binding, its histories are true, and its decisions immutable. Read it to be wise, believe it to be safe, and practice it to be holy. It contains light to direct you, food to support you, and comfort to cheer you. It is the traveler's map, the pilgrim's staff, the pilot's compass, the soldier's sword, and the Christian's character. Christ is its subject, our good its design, and the glory of God its end. It should fill the memory, rule the heart, and guide the feet. Read it slowly, frequently, and prayerfully. It is given to you in life, will be open in the judgment, and be remembered forever. It involves the highest responsibility, rewards the greatest labor, and condemns all who trifle with its holy precepts. The King James Bible, God's Holy Book. All right, folks, welcome back to the Sword of the Spirit podcast. This is Joe Rusiello, and we're going to get started in uh, 1 Timothy and chapter 3. So if you have your Bible, would you please take it and turn over to 1 Timothy chapter number 3. So, uh, folks, I hope that was helpful to you guys. And uh, Jason just uh, text Jason Whitley, 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 sorry, brother. Uh, Jason just texted. He thought that was that was good, and we're thankful for that. We appreciate your comments on it, uh, folks. You know, if you're listening on Spreaker, there is a little chat group there. You could you know you send me a message, and I'll get back to you on it uh, as we go through here. I'm not great at multitasking, so uh, it might be a little bit of a delay before I get back to you. But I promise you, I will. First um, Timothy chapter three. Now, uh, what we've been doing here is we've been studying the five T's. And the five T's are First and Second Thessalonians, First and Second Timothy, and Titus. And we've been going through these five books um, on and off 
Uh, we went through First Thessalonians. We took a little break. We came back to Second Thessalonians, and now we're in First Timothy. Um, but we took we went on and off for a little bit for a couple of weeks now, um, verse by verse. And tonight we land on First Timothy and chapter three. Now, this chapter, even though it's not a long chapter, it has to do with leadership in the church. And again, it was I thought it was appropriate to answer that question in relation as to what we're studying tonight. So uh, talking about leadership in the church, it's, it's important, whether you've thought about it or not, that uh, it's important that you know some of the qualifications, or better yet, actually, it's better if you knew all of the qualifications of a pastor. Uh, you need to know something about what you're looking for when you're looking for a pastor. Uh, and these are these are practical, common sense kind of things that um, people really do need to know something about. Otherwise, you know, God never would have ordered the Holy Spirit to get them written down. They're in the book, and they're in the book for a reason. Now, First Timothy chapter uh, three and verse number one. This is a true saying. Okay, this is truth. All right, uh, this is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop. He desireth a good work. Now, a bishop, uh, the same Greek word, has been translated as overseer, uh, elder, pastor. You know, all of those words are synonymous in the New Testament. Uh, if you're a Presbyterian, it's probably an elder. If you're a Methodist, it's probably a bishop. If you're a Baptist, it may be a pastor. Okay, verse 2. A bishop then must be blameless. Now, it doesn't say sinless, all right? Good luck on finding that guy, all right? It says blameless, blameless. It's a reference to functioning in the office in a way that others may not legitimately criticize his life. All right, let me say that again. It's reference to functioning in the office in a way that others may not legitimately criticize his life. A pastor in a church, particularly a soul-winning church, an aggressive church with the gospel, is going to get criticized. No, no doubt about it. It's just, you know, you might as well plan on it. You might as well just get used to it. You know, um, there are people in this community that I'm sure have said critical things about the church I'm a member of that may have never set foot in the doors of that church. Well, actually, I could say, you know, I have heard personally uh, critical comments about the church that I am currently a member of before I became a member of it. And I know for a fact that that person that I heard say it never set foot in the doors of that church. You know, believe it or not, there are folks that have criticized me on this podcast that haven't even listened to it. Figure that one out. They're clueless about what goes on, but what they do is they just parrot what somebody else says. So what Paul is talking about here, if you could just kind of wrap it all up, is uh, a good testimony. A good testimony. A pastor has to have a decent and good testimony. Now, we're going to go through several things that are listed here, and I can almost guarantee you that there isn't a pulpit committee in America that knows all the qualifications biblically for a pastor nor have they even researched them. To my knowledge, there are at least 17 of them. They're not all in this passage, but 
Um, you pick you pick up some here, you pick up some over in Titus, some over in Ephesians, and so on. But there are at least seventeen qualifications, seventeen listed in the Bible for a pastor. Pulpit committees tragically have little, if any, awareness of what most of them are. Okay, so what's a pulpit committee? A pulpit committee is the uh, the group of the members of the church that are selected to um, to find a pastor to fill the pulpit. Okay, that makes sense. So, do you know what what it becomes in the average church? It becomes a popularity contest. That's really what it becomes. You know, they'll bring in one guy and they'll have him preach and then another guy and let him preach and maybe a third, maybe a fourth. And then what they do is they just vote on whichever one they like best. The first thing that does is, is it becomes divisive. Because, because you have this group that likes preacher A and then another group likes preacher B. And so what ends up, what ends up happening is it becomes a divisive thing. The thing you need to do is is to bring them in one at a time and you vote on them after you bring them in. You don't pile them all in and have a multiple vote. That just doesn't make any sense. So a bishop has to be blameless. A bishop must be blameless. He needs to have a good testimony. The husband of one wife. So, you know, um, fundamentalism, evangelicalism, and Christianity have debated this endlessly about what the husband of one wife means. There are some people on the radical right that say that a guy could never have been divorced. And, you know, tragically, a lot of good men have been turned down because they had a divorce in their past and that they had nothing to do with. You know, it wasn't their fault whatsoever. There are some biblical reasons for divorce, some legitimate reasons for divorce. But that's a whole other subject. We're not going to get into that tonight. We will at some point down the road. Um, but uh, what are the biblical reasons for it? The other possibility is, is that the guy shouldn't be a polygamist. And I guess that kind of makes sense, right? You shouldn't be a polygamist. Uh, he wouldn't have time to preach, would he? <laughs> or he'd be very busy in a, in a bad kind of way. So the husband of one wife, vigilant. Do you know what vigilant means? Vigilant literally means wide awake. If the pastor's asleep, the people will be asleep. No question about it. The shepherd sleeps, the sheep sleep. It's just like that. How about sober? Sober. Now, sober has a couple of applications. One is that uh, he's reasonably stern, straightforward, not a joker. You know, I just kind of disqualified myself there. <laughs> you see how that works, though? But there's another possibility. Sober, as we generally think of sober. In other words, don't get a drunk. Don't get a drunk. You need somebody that's not given to, uh, you know, be not drunk with wine, whereas in excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Okay, how about good behavior, of good behavior? Well, a well-ordered life and a good testimony, right? That would be good behavior, given to hospitality. A pastor should have the ability or 
or at least try to have the ability to make people feel welcome in his home or, or in his church. Apt to teach. Now, I've heard churches get embroiled in this controversy as they're seeking a pastor about his marital qualifications or lack of them, and never one time, never one time, consider if the guy could teach his way out of a wet paper bag. Apt to teach. You know what? Keep your finger here, and let's flip over to Ephesians. We're going to flip over to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4. It appears that a pastor and a teacher occupy the same office. Now, in Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to look at verse 11. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Now, I want you to notice something. There's a semicolon after apostles, after prophets, after evangelists, pastors and teachers. They're not separated. So a pastor is to be a teacher. He's to instruct the people in the basic principles of biblical doctrine. That's part of his job. Now, there's also, and you know, Paul told Timothy, you know, preach the word, be instant, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. There's a fundamental difference between preaching and teaching. Fundamental difference. You know, I get a lot of email from different groups and organizations. Honestly, most of them I don't read. Okay, I'm just being honest. The first thing I look for, of course, every time I open up my email are emails from you. And I get excited when I see them. <laughs> but when I get emails from, you know, missionaries that, that when I get emails from missionaries that I know, my excitement really kind of shoots up the chart. The closest word that we could find in the Bible that would be a missionary is an evangelist. That's the closest word that we could find in our Bibles for that. Now, over the last century, an evangelist has come to... Uh, an entirely different definition than I think what the biblical definition is. The average evangelist today, you know, the one that has the truck and the trailer or a big motor home and he travels up, travels around and he shows up at churches like four or five days or a week of meetings and he, he does his gig and then he, he gets in his motor home and goes on to the next. That's today's concept of an evangelist. But if you evaluate the thing biblically, what a biblical evangelist was, was a guy who went to an area, he started a church, he was there two, maybe three years, you know, getting that thing established, training people to replace himself. Now today, you and I would call that a missionary. But the job is essentially the job of an evangelist. Now when we study church history, you know, we read about people that were involved in evangelism hundreds of years ago. You know, probably the most well-known evangelist in our lifetime was a man named Billy Graham. He was an evangelist. You know, he went to areas and he preached a series of meetings and so on, but even some of those meetings were relatively short-lived. I think he had one in Los Angeles like many years ago at, at the cusp of his ministry that went on for like three months or something. 
You know, there was an evangelist named Charles Finney back in the 1800s. His average meeting was six months long. And hundreds of thousands of people came to the Lord. Those were evangelists. Now, someone has said that, uh, and they may, be, they may be right, you know, I'm not ready to dispute it or endorse it, but as the thing progresses, apostles and some prophets and some evangelists, that it, it kind of shows the order of the church age. And the church age ends with pastors and teachers. Now, let's evaluate for a moment the difference between preaching and teaching. Now, if we study Timothy, Paul here is admonishing Timothy to be both a preacher and a teacher. The Bible uses both words. And believe me, the Holy Spirit knows how to spell teach as opposed to preach. You with me? For example, we frequently find them in the same verse, both words. Uh, Turn over to Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15. Where's my coffee? Acts chapter 15 and verse 35. Paul also and Barnabas continued in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. So the apostles went about teaching and preaching in the same sentence. They're doing two different functions. Teaching, in a nutshell, is um, line upon line, precept upon precept, you know, laying it out, just like a building block experience. That's teaching. You know, we have people around that have taught school, right, teaching second graders math, you know. Children, I have two oranges here and uh, two apples over here, and if I put all of them together, how many do I have? You know, that's one way to illustrate two plus two. Then they'll come up with, you know, several other illustrations throughout the process. That's just line upon line. Preaching. Preaching is an entirely different experience. Preaching you know, largely has been deserted in these latter days in favor of teaching. But God says that a pastor is commissioned to do both. Now, what's preaching? Uh, preaching... Um, preaching may incorporate teaching. It may utilize a lot of the same techniques of teaching, but what, but ultimately preaching is directed at the minds and the hearts of people to inspire them, to motivate them, to make a decision, to make a decision. It may be the decision to accept Christ. It may be a decision to uh, clean up their life and do better. It may be a decision to surrender their life to the Lord's work in one way or another. There are all kinds of possibilities out there, but as far as the decision goes, um, that's what preaching is, and teaching isn't. Let me illustrate it this way. Now, children, we've been studying 2 plus 2. We've studied it from a variety of illustrations and observations. Now, I want all of you kids to bow your heads, on the, and the piano is going to play, I surrender all. Now, you're saying that's nuts, right? And of course it is. Of course it is. Teaching doesn't require an invitation. Teaching doesn't require a commitment. Teaching is just imparting information. That's what teaching is. That's all teaching is. Preaching, on the other hand, is all of those things that I just mentioned, 
most of the time, people don't get irritated over teaching. I mean, occasionally they will. Occasionally they will. But it's preaching that usually rubs the hair on the cat the wrong way. It's preaching that becomes the thorn in the side. And you know why? It's because preaching... It's preaching that tells you to do something. Do something with the information that you're receiving. That's why preaching is generally resisted. Now, let me show you another way that, that you know that. How many adults in raising kids, you know, kids get up to be teenagers or even college students, uh, you know, you're trying to drill something in their heads and the kid says, don't preach to me. They never say, don't teach me. It's always, don't preach to me. And you see, that in and of itself is an admission of what preaching is. Preaching is, you know, you know, you knothead, you bonehead, do something about it. Do something. With the information that you're being given, do something. So a pastor, so a pastor should be a teacher, apt to teach, apt to teach, but he should also be a preacher. So inevitably, and probably with rare exception, you'll find someone who's adept at both. You know, some men are, just by nature, better preachers than teachers, while others are better teachers than preachers. Let me know what you think about me. Info at sortofthespiritpodcast.com. You can't expect one guy to be the total one-sum package. Now, having said that, I'll take a step further and say this. Of the 17 qualifications of a pastor, those are all just ideal benchmarks. But if you know anybody that can absolutely conform to all 17 of them, then fire your pastor and grab him. Because honestly, I don't think that man exists. So what Paul is doing is, and, and as I said, he's laying out the ideal benchmarks that you and I strive for, that we look for. No one, no one can absolutely, totally conform to all of these things perfectly. No one. No one. Let's move on. Verse 3. Not given to wine. So probably the last thing in the world a preacher needs to be seen doing is coming out of the liquor store. Amen. Several years ago, when my kids were, you know, you know, kids, they they had this croupy cough thing going on, and I, I remember somebody told me once to to make this concoction of, of of whiskey, honey, and lemon juice, and that it always seemed to work. And I said, well, you know, I, I got to try that. I got to mix up some of this stuff. And then I thought, holy cow! Can you, I can't go to the liquor store. <laughs> I mean. I go to the liquor store and I can guarantee you one of the members of the church would be driving by at that exact moment and say, oh, look, there's Joe coming out of the liquor store. You have to be careful about that stuff, don't you? You have to be careful. You have to watch. You have to watch. Because believe me, people will gladly, happily identify you with the wrong scenario and the wrong circumstances if they can. How about no striker? No striker, not given to physical force as much as the temptation may come. I've never hit a guy within the framework of the ministry, but I have certainly come close a couple of times. 
Obviously, God says to lay off that stuff. You don't need to do that. But that's not all. Not greedy of filthy lucre. So what's lucre? Lucre is money. Lucre is money. So not money hungry. You know, everybody's got to have money. You need money to live. You need to pay your bills and, and all that stuff. And, and we all get that. We all understand that. But not driven or motivated or compelled all the time just to make money. Just really believe that God can take care of you, and he will. He will. I have many years of, God, of, of experience of God taking care of me. He does. You know, a, a few... A few of God's heroes in the Bible were wealthy, but a whole lot more of them weren't. So that, you know, that um, prosperity gospel stuff, that's just bogus. It's just nonsense. It's just, <laughs> it's just, it's just a waste of time. Uh, and let me put this little caveat in there. Okay. Speaking of requirements for a pastor, do you know what some churches are doing now? And I don't think it's a problem. I don't think it's a problem at all. Is they're doing credit checks. They're doing credit checks now. You know, an honest man pays his bills. An honest man pays his bills. So you want someone that's honest that pays his bills, right? Okay, moving right along. But patient. Oof, that's a dandy, right? Patience. Patience primarily toward the sheep in the context. All right, not a brawler, not a brawler. So not given to arguing. You know, some people you just have to walk away from. Sometimes you just have to, you know, smile and, you know, have a wonderful day. You know, don't waste your time. Answer not a fool according to his folly, the Bible says, right? That's what the book says. You know, not everyone deserves an answer unless they really want one. All right. Not covetous, not covetous, covetous. Christ and his church should come first. You know, not constantly trying to figure out how to get wealthy. You know, I, I've known some preachers that have gotten caught up in these get-rich-quick schemes, you know, the, those, those pyramid sales deals and all that kind of stuff. What it eventually does is misdirect their focus and their attention and then pretty soon their attention is no longer on the work they ought to be doing, but it's on how can I make a pile of money? That's not what we're all about. That's not what we're all about. Covetous, it's, it's kind of like a snake in the grass. You know, It'll bite you when you're in the most unsuspecting circumstances. God, well, more for a preacher than anyone, you know, must understand that God is his source. God is his source. Now think about it. Who does a preacher really work for anyway? The Lord is his employer, right? And if his and as his employer, it's God's responsibility to provide for the preacher's needs. If he chooses to do it through some good people in the church, or as in my case, through your contributions, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. If he chooses to do it through a variety of other means, that's wonderful. And he's used a number of other ways to provide our needs. But once you get your focus off that concept, the Lord is your source, then you can be in trouble. You can be in trouble. 
All right, verse 6. Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Now, what's a novice? Well, a novice is a beginner, someone brand new at this. And that's why it's good for a young man to go th- going into the ministry to do, a f- I would say, a fairly long internship. When I was back up in New York and working as the AP in that church I was in, um, uh, we had a very experienced pastor, very experienced pastor. And it was, in, it was in many ways more profitable to me than anything I learned in school. I mean, this was hands-on, boots-on-the-ground, day-to-day ministerial work. And it was a tremendous, tremendous great blessing to me. The man's name was Ray Stagno. He's in heaven today, and, I, and quite honestly, I look forward to seeing him. I really do. I look forward to seeing him. He was a real encouragement to me. And I, I didn't realize how much I learned from him until I wasn't working under him anymore. A lot of really practical things of the ministry. He was incredibly patient. In his healthier days, man, he was a soul winner. He loved, I mean, loved to see people get saved. He had a passion, and I mean a passion for the Word of God. He loved the Word of God. He loved to talk about the Word of God. And to be quite honest with you, he just wasn't... He just wasn't that great of a preacher (laughs) in his presentation. He would tend to go off on rabbit trails, and it would eat up a bulk of his message. But where he lacked in preaching, man, did he make up with his zeal and his skill as a teacher. And it's really hard to criticize that. He had a very personal way about him that just endeared him to people. I went out door knocking with him one time, and we came up on this one house, and uh, after he knocked on the door, a lady came out and, and immediately said, I'm a Catholic. I'm not interested. And he had such a way about him of like disarming that. You know, he, he could disarm it almost instantly. And he said to her, I'll never forget it. He said to her, he goes, really? Are you a Catholic? She said, yes. He said, have you ever been to Rome? Well, no. He said, well, you know, I have. He said, in fact, I've stood right there in St. Peter's Basilica Square. He said, I'd sure like to have five minutes of your time to tell you about it. Well, now, honestly, what good Catholic would say they didn't want to hear about where the Pope hangs out? So she said, okay, go ahead. Well, man, he took off and gave three minutes to uh, St. Peter's, and he just expertly wove that right into the gospel. And pretty soon, that lady was just all ears. And about 15 minutes later, he said to her, he said to her, now, would you like to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior? And you know what? She did. She did. You know, that, that's the kind of stuff that you want to be around. He had another passion that rubbed off on me, and it was missions. Oh, man, did he love missions. He loved missionaries. He couldn't do enough for missionaries. He couldn't brag in them enough. He couldn't help them enough. He just loved missions. And that's one of the things that I love about my preacher now, my pastor right now. This man loves missions. He gets so excited when he gets missionary letters and he shares them with the church. It's, it's, it's amazing, and it really motivates you to do more for the missions. You know, 
uh, a young preacher coming out of school. I, I know I'm a little sidetracked here, and I, I really hope you don't mind. Uh, I know we're long on time tonight, but uh, but a young preacher coming out of school a lot of times misses out on that stuff. Yeah, I mean, he gets the academics, he gets the theory, but he doesn't get the you know the down in the trenches practical. And let me tell you something: when you're in Bible school or your or seminary. You know, they don't drag you off to uh, the emergency room to deal with somebody in crisis mode. They don't take you down to the funeral home uh, and do the same thing. You don't make hospital visits. It's all just academics and theory and all that stuff. So what a young man needs when he's done with all the formal education is an informal education so that he he could leave the tag of novice behind him. Because novices have a tendency to make a lot of unnecessary mistakes. I mean, we all make mistakes. Every one of us. To this day, I make mistakes. I made a ton of mistakes tonight. But sometimes they're unnecessary. So a young man needs some tempering. He needs some developing. You know, he needs those things that will ultimately lead to his advantage. Not a novice. Not a novice. And that's a good one. That's a good one. Okay, verse 7. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. There are snares and there are traps out there. You have to be careful. You have to be careful. Okay? So now uh, he's gone through the qualifications of a pastor for a bishop. And when we get to verse 8, he's going to launch into the deacons. Okay? And we'll take care of that when we come back from this very quick break. Be right back. I could tell of the story where thousands were fed, when he lifted the sick, when he raised up the dead. I could sing of the others, like the blind made to see. Oh, but I'd rather tell you what's happened to me. I'm saved. I know that I am washed in the blood of the precious Lamb. Through the Father, through the Son, through the Holy Ghost, I'm saved to the uttermost. You must be forgiven to make heaven your home. The good life you're living won't do it alone. So trust in the Savior, He'll save you today. And with blessed assurance, you too can say, I'm saved to the uttermost, I know. Son, through the Holy Ghost, I'm saved to the uttermost. Life now is sweet and my joy is complete, for I'm saved, I'm saved to the 
I know that I am washed in the blood of the precious Lamb. Through the Father, through the Son, through the Holy Ghost, I'm saved. I'm saved. I'm saved to the forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word, and believeth on him that sent me, hath everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. said unto you, that ye also have seen me, and believe not. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Repent ye therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. And he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you. 
Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. And the Spirit and the Bride say, Come, and let him that heareth say, Come, and let him that is athirst come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. All right, folks, welcome back. Sword of the Spirit podcast. This is Joe Russiello. We are studying the qualifications of pastors and deacons out of 1 Timothy chapter 3. And uh, we're going to get into verse number 8. So he already ran out the qualifications for a pastor or a bishop. And then here we are getting into verse 8. Now we're going to launch into the deacons. The deacons are held to very similar standards. All right, verse 8. Likewise, must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre. So basically the same essential qualifications, right? Verse 9, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience, and let these also be first let these also first be proved. So they need to be proved and they need to be tested. And uh, then then let them use the office of a deacon being found blameless. Even so, must their wives be grave, not slanderers, sober, faithful in all things. So a deacon needs to have a wife that's a spiritual woman, that's a godly woman, that's involved in this whole thing, and that she's on the same page. Let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their house as well. For they... For they that have used the office of a deacon well purchase to themselves a good degree and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. Now, here's the thing about it. A deacon should have some biblical sense, some doctrinal sense. He should know some stuff, right? Now, but here's what happens in a lot of churches. Churches, uh, They need to be men who have proven themselves within the church. Uh, here's how the election of deacons goes down. And once again, it's a popularity contest. Or, or, or you, you know, see that guy? He's a really successful businessman. We need him on our, on our board because, well, he knows a lot about business. Or that guy over there, well, you know, he's a banker. We could use him if we ever need to borrow money for a building or something. And seldom in those scenarios is, you know, the... The blue-collar guy, though, the plumber, the carpenter, the electrician that gets selected. Quite frequently, the most spiritual men, the most qualified men, really aren't considered. And that's really sad. That's very sad. Because it's a spiritual office. And it should be someone with a spiritual mentality. All right, verse 14. These things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Now, some preachers use this to teach that the church of God is a building, 
And the, and the reason why is to get a lot of people in the building and get them to pay for it. The church of God is not a building, folks. Thank God that he gives us buildings, and thank God we utilize them, hopefully to his advantage. But folks, the church of God is not a building. It's a body of believers. I mean, if your church building down, if your church building burned down tomorrow, you haven't lost the church. We haven't lost the church house. We just lost a building. That's all. It's just a building. Now, there's the local church and there's the universal church, which is the body of Christ. All right, verse 16. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. So do you know what a deacon should know? A deacon should know what the New Testament mysteries are. Sad to say that a lot of preachers don't know what the mysteries are. Excuse me, I need some water. So uh, we said that there's a lot of preachers that don't even know what the mysteries are. There's the mystery of godliness before us. Well, what is the mystery of godliness? Great is the mystery of godliness. Well, what is it? God was manifest in the flesh. Who do you suppose that was? Jesus Christ. Justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. <clears throat> now, I don't do this very often, but I think it's something you need to see that'll help you understand why I am such a nut, okay? I mean, I am. I, I have kind of a, an old school mentality, and that goes back to... Uh, Pastor Stagno and, and other men, you know, uh, part of my old school mentality is the very reason why I use this old 1611 King James Bible. And I'm going to show you one of a thousand reasons, okay, that I can show you. Uh, I'm just going to show you one tonight, though, okay? And it really gets under my skin, man. It really does. Now, you need to understand something, okay? This old 1611 Bible that I use, and I hope many of you listening are using, there are all kinds of misrepresentations about that Bible. A lot of lies have been spread about that book. All right, now here's one. King James translated it, and he was a homosexual. Well, first of all, I don't think he was a homosexual. But if he was, I really don't care at this point. And second of all, he didn't translate the Bible. He didn't have anything to do with the translation of the Bible. See, in England, the law demanded that if a Bible was going to be translated, it had to be commissioned by the king. There had been six previous English Bibles prior to the King James Bible. You had Tyndale's, Wycliffe's Bible, uh, you had the Great Bible, uh, Matthew's Bible, and so on. So this is the seventh attempt. Now, when you look at what those men said about the previous translations, they all said that that in their estimations, it was not the perfect finished work. They all said, you know, we need to do better, and we're working on it. When this Bible was translated, it was translated initially by 54 men that were selected. A few of them came from the Church of England, but the vast majority of them were Puritans. These men were scholarly beyond our ability to comprehend. And if you want a resume and a breakdown of every one of those 54 men, you can get a book called Which Bible by uh, David Otis Fuller. That breaks down every one of them. 
and shows you exactly who they are or were. Now, those 54, some of them got sick. Some of them couldn't finish the work. So ultimately, 47 men actually did the majority of the work. They were divided up into six committees, and every committee was assigned a portion of the Bible to translate. And after they translated that, they had to come to a unanimous agreement. So every man had to agree that they agreed with the translation work, word by word, comma by comma, semicolon by semicolon. And then their work had to be submitted to the other five committees. And it had to make, you know, they had to go make the whole round until everyone in the entire group gave 100% agreement to what they were working on. No Bible in the world, in the world, has been subjected to that kind of scrutiny. None. Not one. So, uh, chapter 3, verse 16, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. Who was manifest in the flesh? God. Do you think that's important to know? Do you think that's a fairly critical part of this verse? Do you think that's a fairly critical part of doctrine? Do you know what that's talking about? That's talking about the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Okay, here we go. I'm going to read to you from the ESV, okay? The ESV, this, today's like probably next to the NIV is like one of the more popular perversions of the scripture. All right, this is from the, ES, the ESV, uh, 1 Timothy 3.16. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh. He who? He who? He was manifested in the you're never told who he is in the verse. Vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on the world, taken up in glory. Why not just put God in there when God is in the Byzantine text? The word God is there. Okay, here's the NIV. And like I said, these are the two darlings of, the mo of modern evangelicalism. Uh, that's one reason why they really don't like me, uh, uh, you know, or one reason I'm politically incorrect is because I'm old fashioned. I live with this old book. I live with this old book. Here's the verse, the NIV. Beyond all question, the mystery from which true godliness springs is great. He appeared in the flesh, was vindicated by the spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations was believed on in the world and taken up in the glory. So basically it's the same reading as the ESV. Again, who is he? I mean, grammatically, it's an incomplete sentence. It has no predicate. Who is he? Now, again, I could show you thousands of verses like that in the New Translations. In one way or another, they gradually, subtly, covertly, covertly they denigrate the deity of Jesus Christ. So when people say to me, without getting into a long explanation of manuscript evidence and history that can go on for hours, when people ask me why I use that old King James Bible, do you know what my answer is? And you can use the same answer. The answer is because it's the most Jesus-friendly Bible that's out there. And it is. It is. It's the most Jesus-friendly Bible out there. 
And that about solves it for me. What about you? If I didn't know anything about manuscript evidence, if I didn't know anything about Sinaiticus and Vaticanus and the Byzantine text, if I didn't know anything about Greek and Hebrew, if I, if I didn't know anything about the scholars, if I didn't know anything about the translation committees or the, the 1901 ASV and the 1881 RV, if I didn't know anything about Westcott and Hort or anything about all the other stuff, and I know quite a bit about it, but if I didn't know anything about it, if I could just be convinced that I had the most Jesus-friendly Bible, I'd fly with that. Now, people say, why is that important? Why is that important? Well, let me conclude with, with telling you why it's important. Do you have a Bible that you can trust? How much can you trust it? 100%? 90? 95? 80? I mean, wouldn't you like to have one that you could trust 100%? Well, let me ask you this. Is God big enough to preserve for you a book that you could trust 100%? Does it make any sense at all to you that God would inspire a book and then lose it? That's what a lot of the scholars, quote-unquote scholars, would have you to believe. God inspired a book, well, then he lost it. Do you know what that puts the emphasis back on? Who becomes the final authority? The scholars. The scholars. That's who become the final authority. Listen to me, folks. I am not the final authority. This book that I hold in my hand that's sitting here right in front of me, this book is the final, absolute authority. The Holy Spirit teaches you through that book. I mean, how many times you've been somewhere or, or heard on the radio or maybe, maybe even in your church, you heard the preacher say, now, in the original Greek, I mean, if you've been around for a while, I'm sure you've heard that phrase. You know what that is? Do you know what that is? That's a big, fat lie. That guy couldn't lay his hands on the original Greek for all the tea in China. He couldn't show you the original Greek if his life depended on it. You know why? Because it doesn't exist. There's no such thing as the original Greek. The originals have long since dissipated. They're gone. Then how do we know what we have is correct? We know by faith that God is not only interested in inspiring a book, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. But God is also interested in preserving a book. Really quickly, go to Psalm 12. Go to, Psalm, go to Psalm 12. One, just one last thing. I, I know. I'm on a rant. I'm way off my notes. Do, do you know what I want from you? Do you know what I want from you? I want you to walk away from this show tonight, Bible in hand, saying, this is the Word of God. I have the Word of God. I have it in my hand, and God can put it in my heart. Now, look at Psalm 12, okay? 
Psalm 12. This is great. I love Psalm 12. Just look at this. Psalm 12, verse 6. The words, notice plural, plural. The words, every single one of them. The words of the Lord are pure words. Now, where can I get them? I want them, Lord. I want them. Help me find them. Please, Lord, help me find them. As silver tried in the furnace of earth, purified seven times, thou shalt keep them. What? What? What's the antecedent? The words. The words. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. You know what? While we're doing, let's see what the NASB says. Psalm 12, verse 6 in the NASB. The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, refined seven times. You, O Lord, will keep them. You will preserve him from this generation forever. Who in the world is him? Him isn't even identified. What is it that's being preserved? It's the words. It's the words. Someone doesn't want you to know that God not only inspires a book, but he also preserves a book. Now, did he or didn't he? Now, I've had people say to me, you know, my favorite Bible is the whatever. And I'll say, okay, do you believe every word in it? Well, no, not every word. Well, then how do you know which words to believe and which ones not to believe? Well, the pastor tells me. In the original Greek, it's another big fat lie. He isn't telling you which Greek he's reading from. Do you know how many Greek New Testaments there are? 27. There are 27 Greek New Testaments. So which Greek is this guy reading from? How do we know it's the right one? Uh, is the core work from Vaticanus? You know, Vaticanus, almost all of the new versions come from this Greek text. Think about the word. Vatican. Vaticanus. The text that the ESV, the NIV, the ASV, and others all come from a manuscript called Vaticanus. And it's locked up in the Vatican. And no Protestant scholar has ever laid eyes on it. And then there's another one called Sinaiticus. Sinaiticus was found in 1847 by a German guy named Tischendorf in a monastery on Mount Sinai. And do you know where he found Sinaiticus? In a trash can. Not even the monks wanted it. They were using it for kindling. Tischendorf pulled it out and he was like, whoa, ho, 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 look what I found. Okay, th thou shalt keep them, O Lord, thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. God promised to preserve his words and either he did it or he didn't. Now, look, I, I know I've gotten way off the trail and we're... This was really long tonight, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop right here. But listen, if you want to hear more about this, look for the episode called Which Bible? I think it's the second one I did. I'm not sure. 
So it's not the high quality that you've come to expect, okay? Uh, folks, thanks so much for your time tonight. I know it was a long one, and uh, but it was necessary to get that question answered earlier, and, and this was really just a blessing of a study for me. So thank you so much for sticking with me through it. Folks, don't forget, check out SwordOfTheSpiritPodcast.com, SwordOfTheSpiritPodcast.com, and if you can, uh, support this podcast with a monthly recurring contribution or a one-time contribution through Waygiver, I would really appreciate it. Folks, thanks so much for listening in again. God bless you. God save you. God keep you. And I'll see you on Sunday. Take care. You've been listening to the Sword of the Spirit podcast. If you have any questions or comments, visit our website at swordofthespiritpodcast.com and send us a message. Or email us directly at info at swordofthespiritpodcast.com. Until next time, God bless you and good day.